life uh, taught me and a lot of readings in between to change this uh, paradigm of mine, this shift in, in, in thinking. And it's uh, engaging people and diverse voices uh, within the design process. So the power of people is unmatchable. It's the, the most powerful thing. And you need to be very much uh, aware and to listen to what people have to say. To, to make them included, to make them uh, attached to this place, to make them feel this sense of belonging. And I would say this, uh, the, the social justice will never happen otherwise. In these times of fast change, have you ever thought architecture might be falling a bit short and wondered what's next? Well, let's find out. My name is Luca De Stefano. I'm one of the founders of Nonei, and this is Boundary Breaking Businesses Beyond Architecture. Designers and commissioners of tomorrow speaking today. Episode 8. The Feminist Designer. Hello and welcome back at Beyond Architecture. Are you ready to get political? Because today our guest calls herself a feminist designer. She has been very active in placemaking all around the world with her gaming hacks. And throughout her PhD in resilient communities and placemaking, she has been investigating cities all across Europe, collaborating with institutions such as the Polytechnic of Milan, but also doing research in Amsterdam and Copenhagen. She's about to publish her book, The Gender City, where she interviews women all around the world to discover how cities have been failing females throughout history. We connect with Milan, Italy, because today at Beyond Architecture, we talk with Nuram Bassam. Welcome at Beyond Architecture. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. And I always try to go straight to the point. With you, it's kind of easy because I have a very easy question, <laughs> or at least easy to ask. I'm not sure it's so easy to answer. What is a feminist designer? Uh, well, uh, a feminist designer, from my perspective, is someone who approaches all their designs with a feminist lens. And in my uh, urbanist uh, self, I would say a feminist urbanist is someone who is approaching uh, the work in the built environment with feminist lenses. So it means considering uh, every aspect of the design process through this prism of gender equality and gender perspective. Uh, so it should be addressing the unique opportunities and barriers uh, faced by women and individuals uh, that, who identify as women uh, in the built environment, recognizing that the built environment has the power to uh, reinforce or challenge uh, societal norms and inequalities. Can you make a practical example of, of these inequalities? I'm curious to have a test case to make this more tangible. Uh, yeah, for instance, in, uh, in urban design, uh, women have different mobility patterns than mm -hmm. men. So uh, women have what is called uh, trip chaining. So it is several interconnected trips throughout the day. So if we imagine two scenarios, a male and a female, uh, usual day, it would be a man taking uh, their car or maybe a direct uh, transportation uh, commute to their work from point A mm -hmm. to point B. Uh, but then women uh, doing 75% uh, of the world's unpaid care work, uh, we are talking about grocery shopping, taking kids to school, taking uh, relatives to the doctor, uh, running errands. So they would uh, do point A, B, C, D. 
So, and this is what is called trip chaining. And this, uh, when you study this gender disparities in, mobi- in mobility, it contributes to making uh, women's day um, more difficult than males, finding um, the adequate uh, transportation mode and doing all of these short trips uh, mm-hmm. that are uh, chained from and to work. And as you mentioned, doing the grocery shopping. And for the longest time, transportation was uh, planned that all of these uh, trips are uh, leisure activities. So actually mobility wasn't planned to uh, to incorporate all of these different needs uh, bet- and different and disparities between males and females. So this is, for example, how uh, we would say cities uh, and mobility systems, etc., were designed by and for men for the longest time in a historical way as well as well and and now what what we are trying to do is changing this perspective that is uh binary that is uh, uh male uh, centered uh male as the norm male as a default uh, to a more wider mm-hmm. uh lens to incorporate all the diverse needs okay so if i understand you right the whole transportation system was basically built for men going to work and everything else was uncomfortable because of the comfort the man had to do to reach their final destination. <laughs> and you were you were mentioning, sorry, this multi-chain, right? Mm-hmm. A trip chaining. It's called trip chaining. Oh, trip chaining. Yeah, it's the multi-chain. Okay. Yeah, the shorter uh, uh, commutes women would do to, to as well incorporate the unpaid care work that women usually more and have to do. I, I have a ton of questions on <laughs> how how you basically practice and sustain uh, projects because I can imagine your day-to-day job is challenging business as usual, if I understand you right. But before we get there, I have another burning curiosity I, I need to I need to satisfy. Like mm-hmm. who was born first? <laughs> the designer <laughs> or the feminist? Like did you become a feminist while studying design, while studying urban planning, or did you become an urban planner because you were in the first place a feminist? Well, I would say for the longest time, since a very young age, uh, I've called myself a feminist. And it was actually like weird being in sittings and uh, me saying I'm a feminist. And uh, due to my upbringing, I grew up reading uh, Simone de Beauvoir, The Second Sex, and a lot of uh, feminist literature, Bill Hooks, uh, Audre Lorde, and all of these, uh, I would say, feminists and, and Middle Eastern feminists as well, like Nawada Sadawi, they made me the person I am today. And for the longest time, I'm, as an architect and urban designer, I've been, uh, you know, the usual, I would say, designer. Uh, but um, I had this paradigm shift to to put and merge my feminist self, uh, knowing more and reading more, more about disparities and how spaces are... Um, evolved by social constructs and me as as well being a woman of color in in different uh contexts made me realize that well i need to do something that uh direct this my passion of feminism with uh, urban design and uh, public spaces so i would say of course the feminist was born <laughs> first and it's something like i i would say i remember since i was mm. six years old uh, discussing uh, gender issues and mm-hmm. feminist uh stuff and um and yeah i would say now that i am uh, kind of lucky to find, you know, um, this merge between my, my actual, uh, interests and feminist self with my professional profession as an urban designer and a placemaker. Yeah. That's quite interesting. And I remember we were talking offline. You were telling me 
Now you're based in Italy and the Netherlands, but you are originally Egyptian, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite a journey. How did that happen? <laughs> yes, I was mentioning that uh, I was born in Dubai and grew up in Dubai, actually. And, uh, and then I, I returned to Cairo for university studies for college. And, um, and they would say, like, um, my late dad played a crucial part, uh, in me, like, growing up. Uh, he was very intellectual, um, introduced me to most of the feminist literature I've been reading. And, uh, and as well, mm -hmm. this is a very diverse uh, upbringing. So, um, I studied in Amsterdam as well. Uh, so it's, it's, it was really a, this diverse urban belonging and how my positionality as a woman of color changed. And, and this intersectionality as well of me, uh, grasping different cities. Uh, and, and I would say that in, in the East or in the West, it's usually as a similar, um, and disparities you would find in the built environment. Oh. So it's not really different, uh, how you experience, uh, what you say, gendered cities. Um, I would say that uh, it's, it's still a long route in every city in the world. Of course, some countries are not redressing the gender inequality as well as others. Uh, but this, uh, I, well, from my experience as I navigated more and more uh, context, I, I would find that, uh, uh, sexism and of course, sometimes racism, etc. it's still, uh, imbued in our, uh, societal, uh, constructs in our spatial experiences too. Staying on, on a personal note, I had like one question I really wanted to ask you. I wonder if there was a specific moment when you realized, okay, sorry, no, I cannot be a normal urban planner. I cannot go do master plans for Asia and, uh, and in Saudi and so on. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm supposed to be. Well, um, I think, uh, yeah, being a feminist myself and being, you know, as a woman, you face these situations over and over again. So I, ha I had a lot of anxiety issues actually being in, uh, on maybe using public transportation. So for instance, I never use public transportation in Cairo. And, and for me, this is like, uh, so I need to have a car. I need to be in, in my car at times. So this uh, kind of as well, a uh, reinforcement that only because of your gender, this puts mm -hmm. you in this situation. Uh, so I really, I would say that I, I live these gendered realities firsthand. So I'm always, one of these women who can do physical activity at night, who are very much, uh, I have anxiety of being in, in, uh, in dark areas or, um, walking in some streets at night. Uh, so I would say that it's something that have been in the back of my mind forever that why I am not, uh, like, you know, I need to update my Uber ride and share it with someone. It's like always, are you home safe? And this is not something that my male peers would uh, face. So it's like always why I am the one mm -hmm. who has to make these change of routes, go early from a party, uh, change your outfit, change of uh, uh, attitude, uh, to walk faster, to, to avoid eye contact, but still very much be aware of your surroundings. It's something that I've lived and experienced and i would say in every city i've been to and it's always like why me why as uh, only because of gender i have to face these issues so it's it has been really uh in the back of my head it's something that i live with every day and this is this is like really the the point that um 
made me, you know, sometimes I'm very radical and I'm very uh, angry as well that this needs to change because this is not how people should live their lives. This is not how I should uh, live my life. And, uh, and yeah, I think it's something very much personal, something I face and I have a lot of female friends face too. And they have, I've heard horrific experiences that maybe my privileges, uh, because you mm -hmm. have to be aware of as well, the areas you're privileged. And so maybe my privileges didn't make me fa face these stuff, but I'm always, uh, you know, it's, it can be me. And I've heard like horrific stories and from my friends, from women from different parts of the world about how it is sometimes very bad to be just a woman in certain contexts. So I think it's, it's my, um, yeah, it's, it's in the back of my head. It's something that I lived with, uh, all my life. It has been there forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually I've written this like in the beginning of the book that, uh, it is, uh, you know, this, humming sound this tune because i'm a very much musical person but it's a uh, it's actually like a, a tune a humming sound that uh followed me forever and and like reading about uh feminist pioneers and feminist urbanists and feminist geographers uh uh from like maybe 30 years ago and dolores hayden and from the 70s even uh talking about what the non-sexist city would be like and reading all of this made me realize that this exists and we can we can make it happen but mm -hmm. as well make me uh as well upset because it has been it has been there for years and years and still a lot of things didn't uh happen a lot of things didn't change a lot of things uh weren't embedded within design structure systems and this is the resilience i would say that we face from people letting go of their privileges and um, from males specifically, you know, uh, letting go of the patriarchy. And, and we still face, um, I would say, a lot of uh, resilience from uh, people who don't want to question uh, uh, the, the, their perspective or they, they don't want to uh, have, you know, a wider perspective of, of different people and different uh uh, genders in, mm -hmm. in the built environment. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it goes too slow. Huh? It goes too <laughs> slow. I, I'm afraid to say, and this is like, maybe the next generations <laughs> would uh, feel some things different, but definitely not ours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I understand. But I, I think it's also thanks to the work that you do. And I mean, we all try to do in different forms, but mm -hmm. This requires a small revolution. It cannot happen by itself. I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So then I could ask you where the patriarchal imprint was the strongest in all the cities you lived and studied? Uh, oh, well, yeah, the patriarchal imprint, I would say, of course, in, in Middle Eastern context, because I remember that um, even me saying I'm a feminist, it was uh, not not a welcoming, you know, a thing to say. A lot of males would assume I'm like anti-males, I'm a man-hating. So the stigma even with the, with the word still very much persistent. But I would say that even in municipalities in, Europe in some European uh, countries, it would still be that they don't want to call things as like feminist. It, it, I think it's the stigma still exists even in the West. And this is something that is for me was surprising uh but uh but yeah this is the reality unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can imagine i was really hoping for a plot twist there that you would tell me oh no actually this western country is the most racist <laughs> but maybe maybe i can get you there wait what about the urban structure 
like, okay, you, you told us that cities were designed for men mm -hmm. and that's still very much true today. Mm -hmm. Where do you feel this is the most visible? Uh, where do I feel? Um, well, I would say that always uh, safety and the perception of safety would be a persistent matter for women in cities all around the world. And I have uh, myself and a lot of my friends, we would be uh, very much anxious uh, in, I would say, cities after dark. So even in, in winter times when mm. the days are shorter, uh, you would uh, think twice to do the physical activity you would do in a park. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's like a decision to make and you need to be very much prepared, very much aware of your surroundings. And maybe you wouldn't do it or you mm -hmm. would rather go to an indoor gym, uh, rather than, and of course paying more, etc. So it's, um, it's always a decision to do, uh, commuting in some areas and, um, and uh, and yeah so we would say this like uh, some some areas screens anxiety uh, for women and uh, and i mm -hmm. think that uh, it's it's a common issue in in most of the cities i've been to and i've, I've visited uh, in so yeah mm. but norm what can you do about that like in terms of design as spatial planners what can we do uh, well, of course, there are a lot of things you can address through uh, urban design. Uh, we would say that uh, like eyes on the street, having uh, an interactive blinds and uh, well-lit areas, uh, avoiding dead ends, avoiding mm. uh, alleys that are uh, uh, maybe uh, underground or very dark, not not being uh, seen uh, in. So you can do so and, and advise some design um, uh, enhancements, I would say, in an area to be more women friendly and more gender diverse friendly and, and looks more safe. And, uh, and yeah, and, and I, I love this quote of Leslie Kern in Feminist City, no amount of light would dismantle the patriarchy. So this is yeah. <laughs> where all the gender norms that are embedded <laughs> in traditional societies and, uh, and women that were expected to be at home. Uh, like this is the historical uh, gendering of cities. I call it in my book even. So, um, so yeah, it's, of course, it starts from everywhere, from every family to dismantle these uh, gender norms and the patriarchy. Uh, but as designers, there are a lot as well to do to uh, enhance and to advise uh, designs. So I'm, I'm trying to recap a bit in my mind, like we talked before about the fact that the mobility system was structured to serve primarily the needs of the, the, the family man, mm -hmm. um, disregarding every known compliant kind of uh, human or citizen. So that's, I think, a more hidden kind of discrimination, because if you if you wouldn't explain it to me, it would take me time to understand or notice myself. Mm -hmm. And then there is more let's say evident issues like mm -hmm. safety, lightning, creating safe public space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what do you work on the most? Are we talking about doing lots of projects on the hidden discriminations or on the placemaking and mm -hmm. safety issues? Uh, well, I would say that um, amplifying these issues, as you mentioned, and I always say that gender disaggregated data, and this is my favorite um, keyword, addressing gender inequality. So as you mentioned, it's sometimes not visible to males or the, the rest of the population to know what's wrong actually with uh, with the place or with this system. So this is what, where uh, gender-based statistics and sex-disaggregated data 
comes very much in help. So these data can help to identify gender-specific needs and experiences related to the physical space and uh, recreational areas. So it can identify whether men and women or women use public spaces differently and whether it's, uh, and mm -hmm. why, why is that? It's very important. So uh, for instance, and this is my one of my favorite um inspirations i would say uh in the, because i'm working as well in the feminist park uh in berlin and in hamburg and it's it's this project that is expanding and creating a, a recreational park or a playground uh that that does not discriminate based on gender is something uh uh, very important because uh, there, there is like make space for girls and these are like my main inspiration as I mentioned uh, they gather sex disaggregated data and then they something really um, surprising came uh, came by that uh, the skate parks and the Muga prototypes the, mul the multiple use game areas uh, they only attract teenage boys and the numbers are really shocking that it, it reaches 98% oh. are only male teens and then girls are always in the periphery of the playground not included in the games etc so this is what this was really wowing in gathering data and um and actually like uh, putting this data visible for everyone that something needs to change mm -hmm. about recreational areas and parks because this disparity is amazing and it can't be the case that teen girls cannot do yeah. physical activity just because of their gender and this is why like only gender is uh is the uh, like uh, constant here so um so yeah it, it really helps yeah. to identify trends and patterns and inequalities and uh, and what is and visualizing as well uh, data is my is my new um i would say uh, motive to visualize data because it supports our arguments it supports the findings and convince people eventually that uh, no these places are are not working for uh, more than half of the population and we need to do something about it. Well, you, you mentioned this project, the Feminist Park, if I understand right. The Feminist Park, correct. And I mentioned as well, Make Space for Girls. Uh, they are, I would say, uh, the first to uh, gather data with, mm. uh, regarding these uh, Munga prototypes. Um, so I would say they were an inspiration, but the Feminist Park is, uh, is a partner uh, project uh, with the Feminist Park Berlin and in Hamburg. And it's a survey uh, and a research project that uh, that is uh, as well leading to advocacy uh, to uh, to start to um, advise uh, the change in parks and recreational area to incorporate women, uh, especially women after dark, and uh, and it's a participatory project. So at the at the beginning, it was like males saying like, why do you want to uh, to make a park that without men? Mm -hmm. So it's still <laughs> this feminist uh, idea that it's it's places only for women. But then uh, but then we, we tried to like uh, say that feminist spaces. It means like spaces that works for everyone and the marginalized. Uh, so it addresses everything. It's not only gender, but it's gender, ethnicity, class, ability, etc. So it's basically parts that works for the 99.9%. Beautiful. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like I, I often discuss this with my partner. She's also a very active feminist. And oh. one of the biggest discussions is not that very often discrimination is not even a willing act. It's just that 
too many men are in position of power. Therefore, it's much easier that their needs will be represented and everyone else is left out. So I understand the value of what you do. It makes an incredible impact. And I wonder, like, I really picture two types of listeners for this episode. There's going to be a group that it's activist and there's designers that want to make a difference and like you start working on urgent topics that so many didn't address yet. And then there's going to be another group, which is a group of curious of people that want to understand what you do and what they are missing in, in their practice. I wonder if you could give us to both groups, an overview of what type of projects you normally deal with and what type of clients just to understand which possibilities are out there to make the difference as a designer. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I would say as an urbanist uh, and a placemaker, I usually worked in active citizen participation projects uh, with NGOs, with uh, companies that are working on active citizen participation. So, and now like diverting from uh, mm -hmm. active citizen participation, but with a feminist lens, I would say, uh, that is usually tackling the marginalized being presented uh, in, uh, in community decisions and neighborhood. Uh, I would say that it's still uh, the same um, aspects. I didn't work with uh, municipalities yet or policy changers, although I I hope uh, I can I can reach out mm. for for some of these. Uh, but it's usually NGOs, so I can I can provide support to NGOs working on uh, various cases such as gender equality, uh, environmental conversation with uh, social justice. So I frame research uh, projects. Um, as a researcher, this is like usually what I've been uh, doing um, mm -hmm. uh, most of the time. Uh, be because as an urbanist, I had this a lot of hands-on experience in uh, in projects in uh, in, co in different contexts for active citizen participation. But as a feminist urbanist, it's still as well projects that will be happening maybe next year. So uh, this will include uh, me being mm -hmm. inside as well. Uh, but, but till now I do this, I, I framed multiple uh, research, uh, projects and projects in general, mm -hmm. being an, a PhD, uh, uh, someone. So I provide as well master students, uh, supervision for their, uh, thesis. I try to make it, uh, pro feminist geographies, but this is not always the case, but it's, uh, it's <laughs> about urbanism and placemaking and active citizen participation. Uh, so, so yeah, and I would definitely, uh, I, and I always mention this, uh, that a feminist urbanism uh, projects, um, funding is a whole, um, is a struggle, I would say. Yeah. So it is not easy mm -hmm. uh, to fund, uh, projects, I would say, uh, that is only directed into, um, uh, feminist uh, geographies or uh, or these type of is of issues, but I would say that it's definitely gaining momentum. Uh, things are changing, uh, very much little changes, but I appreciate every change. But um, I would say that it's not always easy to fund these type of projects. So I hear on one hand, of course, research. You're a PhD. Uh, you've been writing a lot about also discovering interesting cases. Mm -hmm. I hear working with NGOs and participatory budgets, I guess. Uh, Am I missing anything? Uh, no, uh, this is pretty much it. Yeah. And, and of course, the book, uh, it, uh, it has been uh, my... Uh, I, oh, yeah. Writing and education. Uh, yeah. But it's actually the book is not, uh, it's not a dissertation type uh of um of uh, of uh, production because uh after after i finished my phd i was like 
I am really, um, I'm done kind of with academic writing and I want, uh, I want this as well, the gender city uh, and this, these concepts to be for the normal person. So if you are a city enthusiast, if you are someone who is interested in feminine, uh, feminism or in gender inequalities in, in general, you would as well read the, the gender city as a relevant book to you. So it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of, Feminist literature, it's a bit of uh, interviews with other women online and offline of how cities keep failing women. This research question I uh, I um, posed like two years ago and I've been gathering a lot of, uh, it's about storytelling. It's about amplifying uh, the silenced voices, I would say, uh, from city making and city design. And it's, it's as well personal about my own uh, experiences in, in different gender cities. So it is not an academic uh, writing, I would say. It's very much open for everyone to uh, to read if you're interested in actually like multiple uh, topics because it's uh, I, it's not, you know, coded into some certain academia uh, writings. It is, I loved it, that it can be for everyone and uh, to, to make uh, like a, a case more uh, for the general public, I would say. It's, it's quite interesting, I think, for all those that want to get more involved into these topics as designers to hear what you're doing. And I think the book could be a very interesting reference for everyone to go to have a look because it's, yeah, as you say, it's not a very strong academic publication. It's something meant to be informing everyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have some ideas or big ambitions also on who else could be the partners of tomorrow's feminist designers? Because this might be what you're able to do today, but I, I want to believe that in a few years, this is going to be the new norm. We will need to disrupt business as usual on all levels. Then who would you like to work with? Um, yeah, so I, I mean that uh, it's, it's definitely something I always discuss, the, the systemic uh, view of gender inequality. So we know that no country has reached uh, gender equality. We are still lacking, even with the economic violence against women, the gender pay gap. And uh, I've ju we just celebrated a couple of days ago the day that uh, women would work for free for the rest of the year mm -hmm. because of the economic of the gender pay gap. So I would say that making uh, gender disparities uh, visible in a systemic way. This is what I hope for. So we we have the, this concept of gender mainstreaming. And it means that in municipalities, this is a whole department of gathering gender disaggregated data, of allocating gender uh, gender budgets, like uh, budgets to research and to check disparities based on gender. So I would say that I wish mm -hmm. that it's not one municipality or two municipality doing gender mainstreaming. You know, Sweden has incorporated gender mainstreaming 30 years ago, and this is uh, this is very much pioneering, and, and Vienna. Uh, too. So I would say this uh, is always the, the light of the examples of how gender mainstreaming can be incorporated in housing prototypes, in mobility, etc. Yeah. So ideally, in a better future, every municipality has a budget to hire consultants like you to sit down and for every project, check the data, make sure it's inclusive. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully in every part of the world as well. <laughs> uh, because yeah, it's... Uh... It's vital. It's necessary. It's time. Of course, it's it's timely, yeah. but it should have been the case, I think, years ago. But I hope it's not always like too late. Maybe not our generation would uh, see the the differences, but of course, the next generations. And Nuram, like we always close giving an advice for designers that are either practicing for a while or that are just about to start. What would you tell them? 
Uh, well, I would, um, I would first of all, because as a designer, as an architect uh, as well, it's always uh, that you know better. You know, we have as architects this uh, idea that uh, you design everything for people from uh, where they would live in, the, the look of the building, the, even the interior uh, objects, right? And even the clothing, like architects designed everything. Mm-hmm. But I would say that it's like life uh, taught me and a lot of readings in between to change this uh, paradigm of mine, this shift in, in, in thinking. And it's uh, engaging people and diverse voices uh, within the design process. So I would say that even as placemakers, it's it's important to be radical inclusive in whom you would uh, include into uh, designing their neighborhood and basically their lives. The, so the power of people is is uh, you know unmatchable. It's the the most powerful thing, and you need to be very much uh, aware and to listen to what people have to say. To, to make them included, to make mm-hmm. them uh, attached to this place, to make them feel this sense of belonging. And I would say this, uh, the, the social justice will never happen otherwise. So they need to have voices. And of course, you need to be radical, including all the diverse voices. So to be radically inclusive about uh, marginalized communities and people for that for the longest time, their voices wasn't heard, uh, women, for instance. So it's really important in promoting inclusive uh, design to, uh, to design within this uh, state of mind, to include everyone. Uh, and I would say that, uh, of course, as, as someone who is working in... Um, uh, gender mainstreaming or addressing gender disparities, you need to, uh, to, to challenge the, the gender norms and stereotypes to gather data to, to see what's not working for whom and, um, and, and yeah, to uh, collect and analyze sex desegregated data. Uh, it, it's really important. So, so yeah, it's always listen to the people. They have this, uh, huge power and ideas within uh, themselves and to uh, always be radical inclusive and even like make a list of who is not presented uh, in these community gatherings or in these uh, uh, contexts to, to in decision making. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. And what is the one thing you look at when you go into a new city? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So for me, actually, uh, going to new cities, <laughs> it's usually, uh, me being a flaneuse, you know, this terminology of being a wanderer. So walking is, is my favorite activity to do mm-hmm. in a city. And lately, but it's a bit dangerous. I've been experiencing cities after dark and, uh, and the whole after dark economy and the whole, uh, women representation after dark and, and the whole city sensation after dark says a lot about the city. Um, yeah, it makes you encounter all sorts of things, but, uh, but yeah, but this concept of like exploring cities after dark has been, uh, my lately my thing in, in every city. So I'm usually walking. It's, uh, it's like, uh, the thing I do and, uh, and using public transportation. <laughs> Uh, like, although I've been recently in Mexico City, I'm just back and everyone told me, like, don't use the, the metro there. But then I said, like, 
uh, as an urbanist, you would ah. have, like you need to uh, like try public transportation and and the metros. I would say it's it's really different than the metro, for example, in Milan or in Paris. It's uh, what the metros that I'm used to, but uh, it was quite an experience. I've seen the compartments for women and the kids. So they have the first two compartments. They are solely used for women and kids, and they actually written in the metro that sexual harassment is a criminal act uh, by the law, and they've written the law. So actually, like I've had a lot of um, insights from being in the metro in Mexico City, but I would say that uh, it was a bit, uh, quite an experience. I was uh, squeezed between people. It was very, <laughs> uh, it's it's very interesting, but very, uh, I would say, local experience too. Not, not as a tourist, don't do it. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I am a wanderer and, uh, and exploring after dark cities. Yeah. <laughs> Nuram, I want to thank you so much for joining. Uh, I really would like to to have another opportunity to chat a bit more. I'm really curious about your wandering experiences in cities at night. Yeah. Um, if there's more discoveries, but I, I guess we'll keep it for next time. Yeah, yeah, sure. I would love to chat again. And maybe like after my uh, book uh, is published. Uh, yeah, we need to, to reflect as well a lot of... Uh, uh, historical and uh, modern uh, gendering of cities is there. So yeah, we can be more radical, I would say. <laughs> then I encourage everyone listening to be on the lookout for the gender city coming out soon. Can yeah. we say when or we don't know yet? I hope so. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit a lot of logistics, but I, I <laughs> wish that it, on Christmas... Uh, Christmas Eve, it's, it will be out, but I'm really crossing fingers. So I don't know. We can like keep it soon, but, but it should be on Christmas Eve as, as my, uh, Christmas okay. gifts, I would say to all feminists and, uh, uh, activists and radicals uh, in the world. <laughs> <laughs> do you know where we can retrieve it is it gonna be on amazon yeah or yeah, yeah it's gonna be platforms? on amazon of course uh the paper copy and the e-copy so uh yeah so as so i had actually like two publishing offers but they uh they they will take a lot of realities like exceeding 90 percent and uh, uh i am now actually like uh, making it um you know independent uh publishing so um i think it's it will be like for the first book it will be the the way to go with um so yeah so it's um, it's set on christmas eve and i'm making it work <laughs> then we are even more motivated guys start 2024 <laughs> with some good reading the gender cd on amazon <laughs> yes hopefully <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right nuram thank you so much thank you it has been a pleasure luca thank you for reaching out and uh i hope i didn't like I didn't blab and uh, and like talked about everything, but <laughs> but whenever you open me like uh, speaking about uh, feminist places and uh, the gender city, I I don't shut up. <laughs> Perfect, that's what we want here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Luca. <laughs> All right, we are back from quite an inspiring talk. We have this tradition in the podcast, at the end of every episode, at the end of every conversation, we talk about a potential business model that could break the boundaries of traditional architecture and take inspiration from our guests' activity. This week, we stay on track with what Nuram has been sharing with us. We talk about activism, about ideology. Here is the boundary-breaking business model of this week. Consultant for Inclusivity. So I think Nuram quite nicely explained how this whole system of being an activist works. And there is big challenges, of course. She shared with us that 
today there is quite a limited, narrow pool of partners that could support projects in this direction. But she left us with the hope that soon municipalities, governments, or why not even developers might start hiring experts to make their projects and their processes more inclusive. So that's the business model for this week. What if you become that consultant? What if you start helping developers, municipalities, governments to keep them on track, to make sure that what they do, what they propose, the way they transform cities is inclusive enough, is representative enough of the 99%, as Nuran said, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> But basically it represents society as a whole and not only a few key decision makers. We hope with this idea you kind of discover new models and in practice see how this could mean in your profession. And if you find something meaningful, if you find something interesting, please, as usual, reach out and share with us. Known A podcasts on Instagram and Known A on LinkedIn. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next week. Beyond Architecture is a Known A podcast. This episode has been developed with the financial support of the Dutch Creative Industries Fund. Editorial support and marketing for Known A, Marco Mattia Cristofori, Daniela Silva and Francisco Rivera. Sound supervision by Daniel van der Poppe for Sprach Market Media. Advisory, Max Augustine, Martine Chloe van der Bowman, Francesco De Stefano and Anne Bruna. I'm Luca De Stefano, your host, and this was Beyond Architecture. <laughs>